Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Flavor of the Week, brought to you by Cap and Cork Beer, Wine, and Spirits, with 15 locations in Fort Wayne and New Haven. In good spirits, in good company. In Flavor of the Week, Kyle sits down with one of our local priests over four different episodes to sample variations of a favorite food or drink while they discuss the ins and outs of life as a priest. Welcome to Flavor of the Week, part two with Monsignor Bill Schooler. I'm Kyle Hyman here at St. Pius X. We are trying some IPAs from Captain Cork. Let us uh, try some. Uh, we're, I think we should save the double for last. This is a an anti-hero revolution brewing or hazy little thing IPA. Your choice. Oh, yeah. We'll just, we'll just go with the, the first one here. The anti-hero. Yeah, I like uh, this flavor thing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like to try new things? Yes. Yeah. We did this with uh, Father Terry Kudin, and he mentioned that for Lent, you do grilled cheese. Uh, that's a, uh, it, it's on Good Friday. Yeah. Oh, just Good Friday. Yeah. Well, Fridays of Lent, but uh, we develop a pattern here. I used to get cheese from the Abbey of Gethsemane uh-huh. in Kentucky. They, I loved their cheese. It's a very sharp cheese. Okay. It was it's a, it was a very it, it was a stinky cheese, uh-huh. and so we would do morning prayer. We would do the liturgy. We would hear hours of confession. Then we go over to the directory, and I'd get stinky cheese and uh-huh. make grilled stinky <laughs> cheese sandwiches, which they were. I love them. Yeah, I, I hear when you open the refrigerator, you could you yes. can tell. Yes, it's open. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Father Dan Scheidt, who was with me for six years, said it smells like I didn't wash my socks. Oh yeah, but actually, <laughs> I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, do you care to try our anti-hero here? It's different than yeah, the, uh, this the all day different IPA. It's good. Good. Uh, so we're here at St. Pius the Tenth, brand new church was at least part of the reason that you were brought to St. Pius, was it to build this new church? Not really. Um, I was assigned here in 2001, Uh and up until that time, uh, the parish was staffed by Holy Cross priests. Okay. So the Holy Cross... So you were the first diocesan priest to to be pastor of this? Yeah, I came to destroy the the parish. Yes. (laughs) So when, when the Holy Cross came to this area... The priests, of course, got Notre Dame, the sisters, St. Mary's, and the brothers, Holy Cross, and also a lot of acres out here in Granger, and it was called St. Joseph Farm. Okay. And there was a large community of brothers, and the priest would come from Notre Dame, ride his horse, celebrate Mass here. And as time went on, and as more Catholics came in, they would go to that Mass. And it was in the early 1950s that the bishop decided that he needed to form a new parish. So St. Pius became a parish. It's a little over 55, 56 years ago. And when I was sent here, this area was growing exponentially. And so when the bishop sent me here, I knew that the facilities were not big enough for the size of the parish. Right. So the first church was built in the 50s. The second church was dedicated in 1992. In fact, wow. an interesting thing about that 
is I was I officiated at my mother's funeral, and that was at, when I was at St. Jude. Bishop Darcy was there, mm-hmm. and Bishop Darcy left my mother's funeral to dedicate this church. And I've always blamed my mother for being here. And then, <laughs> and then when I came in two thousand and one, it had grown so much. We knew that something had to be done. Yeah. Father Peter Jarrett was my immediate predecessor, and we knew something had to be done. And so I did surveys, and we decided that the first priority was to expand our educational facilities. Mm-hmm. The thought had been when St. Pius was built in 1992, and they knew at that time, everybody knew the church was not big enough. And the thought was that they would form another parish. In fact, oh, the okay. diocese bought 40 acres just on the west side of St. or the east side of St. Joseph County. Uh, well, first of all, we knew something had happened. We had a thousand kids in our in CCD. We had a thousand kids, and there wasn't enough place for them. So we knew we had to do that. But the other question is: Should a school be built here? Should a Catholic school be built here? Mm-hmm. And so we did all kinds of surveys, and uh-huh. we found out that twenty uh, percent were very much in favor of a Catholic school. Twenty percent were very opposed to a Catholic school, <laughs> and sixty percent. We didn't know. Okay, <laughs> so we did a, a you know we did a study. We did a, a fund drive. Worked with the ac- architects and uh, got permission. Not only, in, in fact, we're very careful to call our addition a parish education center because we knew that we needed to educate people from cradle to grave, mm. and then we got permission to include a Catholic school as part of that building. So. That was dedicated in 2008. Bishop Darcy did that. That was the year two that we opened our Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And so we've done really well. Our Catholic school is, we've got 650 kids. Uh, The principal, Elaine Holmes, has done a wonderful job. We've got a great staff. So this was the first Catholic school opened in this diocese since before the Second Vatican Council. And I I think... I was here for Catholic Schools Week one year talking with your principal, and she was mentioning how one of your visions for the school was that it wouldn't only be used for a school, but that it'd be a, a Catholic education facility right. to be used for the parish for other purposes too, which I suppose is, is common, but you wanted to be very intentional about this this being a multi-purpose facility. Right. It's a parish education center mm-hmm. where people are educated. Um, one of the things from my previous experiences was that parents who chose not to send their kids to a Catholic school, they were second-class citizens. Right. And I wanted to make sure that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So all of our classrooms have a closet for the school and a closet for CCD. Mm-hmm. Our CCD, religious education director, his office is right next to the principal. They collaborate very, very well. Mm-hmm. And it's worked well. Good. And so the facility is open not only to CCD, but adult ed and all kinds of other educational opportunities. Well, we got that built in 2008. And as the parish continued to grow, it was also clear that the church just wasn't big enough. Mm-hmm. And when Bishop Rose came, the decision was made that we would not form another parish. We don't have the priest for that anyway. Okay, sure. So we just don't have the priest. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we were we had seven weekend masses. Mm-hmm. One was in the church and one was in the gym. 
it just was not sustainable, not sustainable. Yeah. So we began the process of exploring, all right, let's build a new church. Let's build a church that, that will accommodate people. And we did a lot of studies. Mm-hmm. We consulted with a lot of architects. And then we raised the money and we built this church. Yeah. And this church is built in a Romanesque style. And I like riding my bicycle through Europe and in uh-huh. northern Italy, I noticed lots of beautiful Romanesque churches. And also, I served five years at St. Monica's, which is a Romanesque church. Mm -hmm. So we made that decision. A person that was very, very important in the process was Father Dan Scheidt. Mm -hmm. Father Dan and I had worked together for six years. He was the associate here. He has a passion for architecture. And with the committee, we designed the church that we have. It seats 1,300 people. I'm very happy with it. It's, it's It's worked well. When you say Romanesque style, how do you describe that for people that don't know what that means? We think of like the Basilica at Notre Dame or St. Patrick's in Fort Wayne or St. Hedwig's here or St. Patrick's here. Those are not Romanesque churches. Those those are Gothic churches. Okay, The Gothic style is more soaring. They're also a little more expensive. A Romanesque Hmm. would be more, it's more squat. um, It's more ancient. And it's also a little more affordable. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we just thought the Romanesque style would work here, and it does. But not uh, bland. Oh, no. No, no. It's not bland at all. Which we sometimes see in modern church architecture of, yeah, let's go for the cheaper at the expense of looks. That's right. But th- that's not the route that you took. No, 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 no. In, in fact, there's a lot of iconography, a lot of artwork in the new mm-hmm. church. And after the Second Vatican Council, I think there were a lot of churches that were built in a fan fashion or, mm-hmm. you know, not really paying attention to the aesthetics. And so I saw we had the opportunity to blend the insights of the Second Vatican Council with a more traditional form of church. So our church has a nave with two transepts. And then the apse is where the Blessed Sacrament is. The two transepts, do they form like a cross shape? Like a cross, yeah. Okay, so uh, do they call it cruciform? Yes. Church? Yeah. Did you get much pushback from that of people thinking we shouldn't be spending this much money on a church, that we should do it more simply and more Uh, bland to save money? (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, we had a lot of meetings, a lot of town hall meetings, and I think people, for the most part, are happy with what we have. Yeah. I have only heard positive things from it. Everybody's so excited about it. Well, it was it was a huge change yeah. um, from the church that we had before. So the church that was built, the dedicated in 1992, would have been a much, there's less iconography. Mm-hmm. It was really more intimate. And it took us a while as a congregation to adapt to the new church. And then how have you repurposed the old church? Um, The old church has become, we call it the Parish Life Centers. It's a gathering area. Mm -hmm. So we have three very large meeting rooms. And also that's where the baptismal area is. So again, in a lot of the churches in Northern Italy, the baptistries were eight-sided structures apart from the church. People would go be baptized in there. So St. Augustine, for example, would have been baptized in the baptistry, then come into the church where the bishop would confirm him and, and, and give first Eucharist. Uh-huh. 
So our baptismal font is eight-sided, and it's actually in the where the old church was. Yeah. And we've kept the the structure of the old church. We've kept the beams and all of that. Yeah. And I it, looked at it on the way in here. It's, it's very beautiful and open and nice. You've got great resources of those big rooms like you talked about. Was that baptistry, is that something that you had made for that, or was that pre-existing? No, it was a new baptistry. The baptistry in the 92 church, um, well, I, 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 Father Tom Jones did that. And an interesting thing about that is he noticed that there's a meditation by Pope St. Sixtus III that's above the baptismal font in the baptistry in the Lateran Basilica. So the Lateran Basilica in Rome is the Pope's cathedral church. Mm-hmm. And so he had, there were eight tiles with that Latin inscription. So we kept that for the new baptistry. So on the sides of the baptistry is the actual quote, the, the meditation on baptism. Huh. And then on the floor is the English translation, uh-uh. which I think is really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. I have a lot of more questions about the church, but that maybe we can cover this in uh, part three of Flavor of the Week. Yeah, we, another IPA will another, help us a lot. <laughs> well, we'll try one more IPA. Uh, how do you like this one here, the anti-hero? It's good. It's good. Good. All right. Well, coming up, we'll have more Flavor of the Week with Monsignor Bill Schooler here at St. Pius X. It's brought to you by Captain Cork. Captain Cork.